That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, episode 32. I'm your host, Travis Lean. With me today, we have William Suit. Hey, what's up, my fellow boomers? Rebecca Markley is here. Hello, hello. And guess who's back? It's Caleb Warwick. Guess who's back? It's Caleb Warwick. You just said the same thing I said. As a reminder, you can, can I follow guess? the podcast at <laughs> hitpointpals on twitter.com. Can you guess what? Is it Caleb Warwick? <laughs> yes. It is. Yes. Correct. And you can find all of our episodes at hitpointpals.com. And if you're enjoying the show, drop <laughs> us a review. Let your friends know. Oh my god, I almost said that's all for this week. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for having me. Oh. oh man, but speaking of this week, this week, uh, I've been playing a lot of Destiny 2. Caleb's been playing a lot of Destiny 2. I sure Will have. played a little bit of Destiny 2 with us uh, once, <laughs> briefly. I died many times. <laughs> it's all good. I hadn't played Destiny 2 before. You guys had played Destiny 2 before. Mm -hmm. To say the least, I was very confused. I wanted to play the story, but I didn't know where it was. I spent two days doing strikes, which it turns out strikes are like random missions. That's what the game told me to do, though, so I did it. And then finally, Caleb showed me that to start the story, you have to go talk to this lady in the garage, which I thought was very funny, because how was I supposed to know that? <laughs> you weren't. Because, <clears throat> so what's really weird about Destiny 2 and its state now is obviously its detraction from Activision, which, you know, is a good thing. It's able to do the whole cross-save thing and eventually, hopefully, cross-platform, and now it's free-to-play, so, I mean, what a lot of people paid 60 or $90, actually, for is now free, and that's but nice. that's like any game. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Several I'm years later, saying... it goes on sale for, like, five bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know, but, like, um... Just for this type of game, because like if this was like a Call of Duty or something, oh dude, Call of Duty's still sixty dollars for like Modern Warfare Two. I, I think it's like twenty. But um, what's weird about Destiny Two now, especially with its new update, is um, so when I first got the game, I think it was like last year when I got it officially, because I played the closed beta for I believe in like twenty sixteen or seventeen, and that was the last time I played it. So when you get the game. It starts you off, you know, how you started, where you have your ghost or whatever. And then as the game progresses, you know, uh, what is it called? The tower or whatever um, gets Listen, destroyed. The game hasn't <clears throat> explained to me what anything is yeah, or yeah, what yeah. it's called. Or maybe yeah. I just haven't been paying attention. No, and there's no, no, like I, a cast of characters. <clears throat> I don't know their names. So what, what I'm explaining is like before this update. So... How it would work is you started out on that and then you had to like go planet to planet during the main story because you couldn't go to certain planets until you unlock them via the main story and then you beat the game end game. But with this update, anyone who's new to the game is going to be like, what the fuck is going on? Just like me, because I haven't played it since I don't even know when, like a year ago. So it just gives you everything right away. It literally just gives you everything right away and you start at a certain level now. So it's just like by everything you mean like campaign and then here's yeah. some like side campaigns and it you doesn't can go to every planet of where to start. Yeah, it, if you like are new to this and you have no idea what you're doing, this is like the most overwhelming thing in the world. 
and if you especially if you have no one explain it to you so for someone like travis who like was like oh this is a cool game and it's like what the fuck where do <laughs> well, i go so it gives you a little <laughs> tutorial it teaches you like the basic controls and then you're in the tower and then the game is like do a strike and that's about that's about it that's about all the guidance you get it, it reminds me of like Dark Souls, like how it kind of puts you into the world. It's like, all right, here's how to attack. Here's how to hit. Here's your first boss go. Kind of like that. And I was like, it doesn't really make sense of how it set it up, especially with like, like making it free to play. So obviously it's going to gain some a significant amount of players. But with how it's set up, like for these new players, it's like, if you don't look up what you're trying to do, you're not going to know. Like how I had to explain to you where to get the actual main story is and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's it's definitely in an interesting state now. It's it's been like an entire year since I've played it last, and I only played like the first main story mission and like maybe probably one strike. I don't remember anything basically from when I last played it, except like maybe so, like a few guns and just how the light levels worked. That's it. So Okay. I went into this thinking, like, I'll play a bit with some friends. I'll play the story. The world seems cool. I like sci-fi stuff. Then I got worried that, like, because I had missed Destiny 1, I wouldn't know what was going on. and Or I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe that was the reason. I started watching, like, a lore explainer video. And, like, <laughs> 10 minutes in, I was like, what the fuck? I don't care about <laughs> any of this. I'm just going to play the game with my friends. I, the story literally means nothing to me in this particular game. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely that kind of game, though. Like, I started out, actually. I played... So I I, I feel like I feel like there's different ways you can play this game though. Like and I don't know yeah, what the yeah. intention is cuz I feel like there's a lot of lore that you can go through, but I feel like it's not written well and I feel like it doesn't necessarily no. need to be. It's no, just kind of like scatterbrained. A, yeah. Like there's definitely no sort of like main story that I could summarize. It's just stuff happened. There's some factions. They're there because you want enemy variety. They're not there because someone is writing like a grand space opera. I really wish that was the case, but you know, it's okay because this game is definitely a lot of fun, especially with friends. And I feel like that's always a cheap way to explain a game because any game could be fun with friends. But I feel like this type of game anyways is like just, just so fun playing with friends. I don't know, especially like with the Gambit, like what we played and stuff. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it's super, Gambit competitive, is fun. super competitive, but like it's still super fun. Have you played the Gambit, Will? Did we play with you? He played you? with us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, right. that's where I, I, just I got remember. Oh, nine. Gambit's the one where you collect the triangles. Yeah, the moats. <laughs> yeah, yeah we... you kill enemies, you collect the triangles, you put them in the bin, and if you put enough triangles in the bin, we realized the enemy's bin goes away. Yeah, so we we like realized new things about the game mode, and we finally like understood it like the last time me and Travis played it. Will so it makes a lot more sense now. Got really good we, at it. Yeah, we got really good at it. So you're gonna have to play this next time. Just saying. Oh yeah. That's all my thoughts on Destiny for Destiny, now. Yeah. I'll probably keep playing it. Rebecca, tell us what's been going on. Not a whole lot as far as like games I've been playing, but um, I'm really excited to um, run The Sunless Citadel, which is a D&D module that originally came out, I think, for third edition. So third edition then there was like three five and then there's four and now we're at fifth edition and i guess it was a really popular um i guess module that 
was released and so they kind of reformatted it for um I guess like rebalanced it and, and made the rules w- work for fifth edition and it takes place in this sort of like underground um like dungeon it's a dungeon crawl primarily so you are in the dungeon and you are like you know looking for traps and you're fighting monsters and you start solving puzzles and it sort of revolves around this like evil druid tree at the center of the forest that's sort of like gone corrupt and i don't know it just seems like a really fun kind of like hack and slash sort of adventure that's pretty um fulfilling for the players um, there was been a, some some changes in the two groups that I run for, um, and one of them has like people who are like working in London, and someone's about to have a baby, and so we kind of did a like a what are we going to do with the the D and D you know session, and so we are going to kind of transition transition into playing one offs or like games that are you know only like a couple of sessions long to accommodate Mm -hmm. like people's schedules and if you can only commit for a couple of weeks that's fine you know do that and um i've heard people say that they have like a a very different and and sometimes more fun experiences doing one-offs has that ever been your experience yeah i feel like i like one-offs because i feel like the stakes are a lot lower so i feel like you can be more ridiculous you can choose a character that is not optimized that's just sort of like fun um, or you can like choose something that you would never really play or it would be hard for you to role play regularly because you're sort of like thrown together as a group and you're just sort of like, OK, we're going to go do this. And there's not a lot of like backstory tie in like the the buy in is really low for for characters or for players. So mm-hmm. they're a lot easier to run. They require a lot less work for the DM to just be like, you know, let's integrate these backstories and. Let's try to make this, you know, adventure hook not seem just like we're off to go to an adventure now, you know. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to like walk people through character creation because I think character creation is like one of my favorite parts. And that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow, I guess, Thursday. Um, yeah, I think I have like a couple, like four people, two of whom who've never played before. And so I'm expecting it to be. Like a, like a pretty fun kind of experience. Character creation is always challenging for new people because they're like, what do all this, what does all this stuff yep. mean? Um, they're like, what, what, what are the, the modifiers and all of that? Like, how do I calculate my hit points? Like, how do I actually read the player's handbook? Because I feel like sometimes the language is confusing because it needs to be so specific for game mechanics. And, um, so, you know, that's never really fun to try to like disseminate these characters, but they're only starting off at level one. So we don't have to do a lot of work <laughs> putting together the characters because they're not going to like have a bunch of abilities. They're going to have like 12 fucking hit points. I guess I've never actually run a dungeon crawl. Like I've played in a couple of them, but I think it'll be fun to actually run it and like sort of like keep track of all the, all the traps and, um, kind of like see how, you know, the various, whatever, whatever the party makeup is going to be, um, sort of like evolve and, and, and be able to, to solve the, solve the problems. Is a dungeon crawl like a streamlined campaign or is it just like a different campaign? Um, a dungeon crawl is 
kind of streamlined. Usually it's sort of like a an, uh, you have to like go investigate something or you're retrieving something. So you have to mm-hmm. go into the dungeon. And most of the, the action takes place while you're in a dungeon. So, right. you know, like stone walls or maybe like metal walls or like it's underground, that kind of thing. It's usually dark. There's lots of traps and like hidden bad guys um, as, as opposed to like something that's more sandboxy where they can just go anywhere in the forest and like you kind of have to construct the world around them it's much easier to just like have the map and be like they're walking down this hallway and then you know describe the hallway and like you come to a t intersection and you see a light over on the right side coming down the hallway i think it'll be a good introduction for new players just sort of like have very clear objectives so they like know what they're doing and like I'll of course kind of like tell them like during character creation that yeah you're going on this quest so you need to like make to make it easier for you to be engaged with the game like be a treasure hunter or something like that so it's a little bit easier for you to like have a reason to be there right it sounds like you have to have a lot of a high level of improv to be able to do something like that Rebecca I mean, I don't think I'm very good at improv, but yeah, there's a lot of things that you just sort of like make up on the fly. I have like a lot of cheat sheets for like NPC names where like I just will, you know, they'll like go into a place that I had like no idea what it was. And like, you know, like I hit like fantasy name generator tavern and that's the name of the tavern. Um, And then like the bartender is like usually a halfling because of course, and then, you know, a halfling named Charles. And um, it's <laughs> is this is this like is this like in universe prejudice? The bartender is always a halfling. No, I feel like that's just usually what I kind of like come up with. Like they're like halflings or gnomes or something like that. Because I think it's oh, okay. Because you said it like <laughs> yeah, it sounded like you're <laughs> oh. like of course it has to be a halfling. Like no, no, but not no. It sounds like I, I guess maybe not improv, but like more creativity. Because I mean, you still have to piece those things together in a fun way. So it definitely sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, to me i yes. wish i could i wish i had time to do something we like should, that again. we should we should play over discord sometime i think that would be a lot of fun we've talked about i am that. totally down to do we'll that have a, have, a, have a discord game day we talked about having yeah. a having a hit point pals episode that is just a um that's just an actual play oh, that'd be neat it's just audio of us playing destiny 2 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it would be great fun and then you might actually understand what i'm talking about when i talk about the game <laughs> Well, the way you describe yeah. it, it 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 does like, I mean, I'm not gonna say I 100% understand, but like it does vaguely make sense too. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure it'd be pretty easy to like for you to explain it to someone like me. And I feel like once you actually like start playing, it makes a lot more sense. Um, mm-hmm. You just sort of like, okay, yeah, I guess this is what we're doing, and then you just sort of do it as opposed to like trying to like make it make sense in your head. Um, yeah, it's just more about for me. Like I've done, I've only done like very basic D things like with my friends in the past and like with like no experience you know what i mean and it's like we we just do it to have fun like we don't like um try to think super hard about it we just like like all right i'm gonna hit this guy and then we roll our die and then you know see what happens like it's it's just yeah it's fun i feel like there must be like different levels of of commitment and different levels of immersion in different D groups like when you play oh, an RPG, yeah. like a Bioware game, there's different levels of immersion. You can like you can play it as though you're role playing, or you can play it to like just goof around. You can play it to break the limits of the game. 
like there's many ways you can play a video game i feel like there's got to be many ways you can play D D with other yeah people it really well. is dependent upon like your party sort of or not your party the table makeup so like yeah. how other sort of players there really enjoy playing the game um and so sometimes it does take a little bit to sort of like find your um sort of like groove and sort of like find your like collective play style um and then it also really depends on like the what the the dm is willing to do and what they're comfortable doing um you oftentimes hear about like problem players or something like that and i think the only like person who could be a problem player is if they've like stuck around for a really long time and still don't know the rules because i think if it's just sort of like a party or not a party a like a, a table kind of like chemistry issue and if like this one particular person is just you know really enjoys getting super like min maxi and like aggro and like you know just to hit things just to hit things and everyone else is really into social interaction and role playing then you know they people might be upset at that other player but that's not like because they're playing the game wrong they just have a different preference and maybe you should find a different group that better suits them or that makes sense you know maybe yeah. like i don't know play a one like a one shot where like you don't have to have a lot of role play it's just sort of like yeah we're gonna go kill the beholder let's go kill the beholder like everyone's like trying to do something and then you're like there's one guy he's like all right i'm gonna hit you for with my sword and everyone's like what the fuck yeah okay. and like of course you know sometimes like there are like player choices that make sense like i think last week i talked about maybe it was a couple of maybe it was before we went on break i don't remember when my character svetlana um was getting like ganged up on because she was acting weird and you know was having like a like a fucking crisis because mm. she like lost all of her treasure and so like mm. there's can still be like conflict at the table between you know the very various like player characters and really even between the people at the table like people were upset they were like rebecca what are you doing and i was like no like let's let's see how this plays out you know and um i think that's also fun i i wouldn't recommend doing that kind of of play unless you're really familiar with the people who you are playing with um and like you're okay and you know understand that like this is not real life and like no one's actually like upset with you or like angry at you um because i you know it doesn't feel very nice to have everyone being mad at you even if it is just pretend right true in D D and in real life Yes, definitely. Wow, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, oh, well. Well, anything else on the Sunless Citadel? Do we know what the Sunless Citadel is? It's, oh, it's like a, it's a fortress that um, has sort of like sunken underground over time. Okay. And um, that's spooky. I was given a couple <clears throat> of like, like hooks to get people in to, or like interested in the, um, in what was going on and i think i'm gonna go for it's like a goblin layer and so um you know like they were asked to go kill off these goblins and then they discover the secrets of the sunless citadel as they're you know trying to you know kill the Ooh. the goblins. i want to find out this story Sounds maybe i'll intriguing. run it for you you should honestly i want to find the treasure of the citadel or the secrets Lots of cool secrets. Awesome. Will, have you uncovered any cool secrets? 
Uh, I have not been to the Citadel, so I have no secrets there. But I have found some very uncool secrets. All right. Uh, I've been playing uncool a lot of secrets. Victoria 2, a game that... Uh, it's a strategy game that takes place from 1830 to like 1930 and imperialism is the name of the game imperialism is not a very cool secret what Uh, kind of imperialism like who's the who are the imperialists well the imperialists are usually european nations or the united states Mm -hmm. or china for a time being they uh Yep, they get to... So in the game, there's rankings for nations because you have multiple stats to keep track of. Your army size, your industrialization score, and your prestige. And the top eight nations get to be in this rank called Great Powers because that's just the way the game handles these mechanics. And when you become a Great Power, you get to get create spheres of influence regardless of what the other players might want because you're a Great Power and this is like 1870 or whatever. You can kind of just force your will. And if there's a international crisis, the great powers are the ones who get around the table and decide what's going to happen. The people who are actually in the debate usually don't have a say, mm-hmm. um, which is when I first played was very frustrating. But then I realized, ah, of course, it's frustrating. That's the point. <laughs> I don't get a say in any of this. Um, but it's really neat. Like it, it, it kind of the game tracks this like period of like pre-industrialization and then you go to i don't know and factories are popping up everywhere and then you've got like political movements and different views on things uh slowly happen throughout the game so like you've got different tax rates and things you need to watch out for and reforms that you might want to pass but you can't because conservatives and reactionaries have teamed together to rig the election and you can't pass any like minimum wage reforms Damn, that sounds crazy. Interesting. Glad that we've moved past that. Uh, (laughs) Yes, good thing. (laughs) Have we learned anything since the 1830s? Uh, Nope. uh, Anyway, but um, yeah, the game's really neat. It's got like a modeled economy system. So like your capitalists won't build factories if like there's not enough profit in it for them. But you need factories if you want to be competitive on the globe, on like the world stage, because if you don't, you're going to get trampled on by the great powers and nobody wants that. So everybody is just trying to industrialize and sometimes it doesn't work out so well. Just like in real life. Yeah. And it's this case of like, oh, shit, what do I do? And sometimes you'll end up finding yourself like maybe not taxing the rich, but taxing the fuck out of the poor. Or it's like, oh, shit, what do I do? Like. I, like we're running a deficit here uh, uh and you end up you can't cut the military because the party in power has like placed a limit on like how much you can like cut but they're more than willing to let you cut all of education and administration spending which gets you out of the hole you're in for that time but can kind of set you back in the future and i just like how Damn. there's like just yeah like there's like an economy <laughs> Yeah, there's an economy that's tracked. There's different class. There's three social classes, and within that, there are different like job types that are tracked. Oh, what else? Oh yeah, uh, there's like a whole politics and election thing if your country does have that. And there's also stats for all the people in your country called consciousness and um, militancy. So if they're very conscious, the pops are like very politically active, um, and they're like really engaged in what's going on around them, and they're very like, hey, maybe we should like change things. What if? 
what if we had like a 10 hour workday instead of like a 14 hour one? Um, oh, wow. Which is a thing because when the game starts, there's like no, I mean, there's right. no, like, you just work. There was no like the, labor movement. Yeah, there, there wasn't. Oh and then with consciousness, there's also militancy, which means, you know, maybe your people are highly conscious, but not very militant because you've got a very good, like, functional republic or democracy where people can kind of like organize and like campaign for things. If you don't really have that, uh, or you have that and you try and resist change, then your people will get more militant, which then means like, oh, fuck, the communists have risen up again. And then you have to send in your army to go crush the workers. And then you wonder why people are very upset. It's like, it just gets very complex. And it, I'm still not very clear on how everything works in that game. But uh, I'm like, I'm loving it. It's a lot of fun in a way. Not not like it's fun to, oh, yeah, I cannot <laughs> wait to tax the poor. You're like, yes, yes, I cannot wait. My but fantasy. It's, it's interesting because a lot of the events in that game are also written out as if it's like, I don't know, like something from that time. So when the, suffra the suffrage movement really kicks off, a lot of the choices are like, you know, it wouldn't be bad to let women voice their concerns. Or you could say something like women voting. My guy, come on, let's <laughs> let's slow down. A 10 hour workday is like one thing, but women voting. OK, now that's a whole come on, cool it. <laughs> it's what like was wow it's very again? victoria 2 Victoria uh it came out like a decade ago i hope they make another one like a wow. newer oh, one man. That, like, looks nicer for a victoria 3. <laughs> i don't know better <laughs> graphics petition to make press the working class right petition um, to work the but then there's it came also out in like 2010 yikes and there's like different uh economy types like you can be laissez-faire which is where you're like I see no problem with letting the capitalists control everything. You've got like state capitalism, which is kind of that, but then there's some limits and it's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have big monopolies and stuff. And there's stuff like planned economy if you go socialist or like communist, which then has What's its the own. US? Is the US a laissez faire? US is state capitalism, I think. Uh, I think sense. in like think the 1800s, so. we would have been laissez faire. And then whoever did the big like. I, maybe Teddy Roosevelt did the big breaking up of monopolies. I think that's when the U.S. Like was the like first like antitrust laws. Yeah, where he was like, "What if one guy didn't control all the oil and steel?" I think and that's the when we kind of yeah we have like restricted free market. So it's not fully free because if it was, we'd have like one company. Well, we do have like two for the companies. most part. basically like it's I, gonna be that eventually. Yeah. Do we need to like, redo antitrust laws or something? Yeah. I don't get what yeah. happened. Probably. Actually, we probably don't need to redo. We just need to like get people to actually follow the like. We need politicians to do like enforce the laws. Well, how does the law work? Well, is I it think, like is it not defined? I think it's by I think the like the like I don't know. I was talking to somebody who knows more about this, but um, it's. Because of, like, they're sort of, like, dabbling in, like, multiple sort of, like, industries. And they do multiple things. Like, they because, like, tech is so, like, nebulous. And is oh, so okay. applicable to, like, many, many things. It's not just, like, oh, the railroad. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the railroad monopoly or, you know, AT&T's sort of, like, um, like, telecom monopoly. It's, Yeah. That's weird. So as long as you own a bunch of companies that are not in the same field, you get away with it. I mean, yes, also because I, I, when you're, you know, bring in billions and billions and billions of dollars, um, you can essentially do whatever you want. 
And right. I guess it's Hell, that yeah. thing of if you own a lot of companies in different fields, you can make a billion arguments for, oh, but I don't control this market. Mm, mm-hmm. That's not a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Um, like in apparently in like 1980 or something, or maybe the late 70s, there was like one telephone company in the United States, really? And that was mm-hmm. AT&T. Yeah. Which was, which was I like a really hard time conceptualizing telephones in the 1890s. <laughs> <laughs> but like. AT&T, like the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, it was like, if you had a phone, it was through AT&T. They would, like, lease out the phones. Like, you had to go through AT&T. And they got broken up in the 80s into, like, multiple companies. Or something that they controlled was broken up into a lot of different companies. And that's why nowadays we've got so many different phone companies. But they're all being controlled by the... I mean, they're all, like... Yeah. They're all coming back Parent companies. Yeah, and yeah. another well, thing is, then you've got the problem the of, mergers. like, if you've got a bunch of big companies controlling it, you have the problem, I think, like, ebooks was a, a thing, like, prices for ebooks, when the ebooks first were, like, a big thing, they were, like, cheaper than paperbacks, and then they reached a point where ebooks were kind of like buying a physical copy. Mm-hmm. I like think that was because Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and some other companies had all, because they're all big companies in the same market, like, made an agreement, like, okay, we'll compete but our prices won't go below this certain point. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, instead of one giant company dictating the prices, we've just got a, a gang of buddies dictating the prices. Yeah, it also has to do a lot with, like, the, especially, like, the neoliberal movement in the 1970s, I think, where they had to completely... um, <laughs> They just put all the trust in the billionaires in the first place that they would just reinvest to. Mm-hmm. So that also Trickle creates down. a lot of What's problems. What, yeah, what could yeah. possibly go wrong? It's not let like me, there's like eight billion down. dollar companies that are just storing money across the seas or anything, but yeah, you know, they're investing, but yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of complexity to this situation. And like, if anything, it's just, I don't even want to think about it to be honest, but hell yeah, this is fortunately we have to, to. This is getting me hyped to play more Victoria too, but uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a neat game. And uh, I don't know. I just like the little moments that come out of all the systems, like, you're like anarcho, I don't know, like far left groups are like getting really militant because they want reforms, but you're hesitant to pass the reforms because you know if you do, the reactionaries will get into power and then revolt against that. And it's this case of just like, oh shit, I'm stuck between immensely poor people and immensely rich people who control different parts of my country. And it's like, what do I do? Eat the How rich. do I do this? Eat the rich. Uh, but they control the army. I don't want the poor to start getting <laughs> shot. Shoot the poor. Shoot. It's like, oh no, I can't do this. <laughs> or like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's neat. It's, it's, it's fun. Gameplay wise, it's fun. Time period. Hmm. But yeah. Fun and relevant. Yes. Wait, so when does this game take place? Like uh, it's 18- called Victoria too. So it's. Yes, so it's like right before the Victorian era and then like a little after the Victorian era. Okay, because I was kind of confused because you were talking about a lot of like modern stuff, but I guess that makes it makes sense. Like, yeah, because you in like being able to change that and stuff. 70s and stuff is like when a lot of like socialist groups start organizing and then later on uh, you get communist groups organizing. And it's like, oh, cool. And then you get anarcho liberals in response to that. And it's like, oh, not so cool. What are we doing? (laughs) Guys, please. <laughs> like, oh shit. Guys. Oh man. And then there's stuff like during elections you get prompts for because you, you're kind of like the overall player of the country and you can kind of guide where elections go, as unrealistic as that is. So like you could say, oh, there are decisive arguments for this thing. But sometimes with that, it's like you make a decisive argument for uh immigration 
but then all pop pops against immigration become more militant and it's like oh shit you've got to be careful with what you do for fear of like a big revolt or a civil war or something happening but yeah it's uh it's neat mm. very interesting i mean it sounds very interesting i meant to t i was supposed to tease this at the top and i forgot but our topic for this week uh we're talking about how we value games in regards to price expectations a little bit similar to the topic we talked about last week, which was um, kind of the, the way that thinking about purchasing games has changed over time, the way that subscription services have rolled out. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start trying to break down this very uh, broad and inconclusive topic of how do we price games? How do we value games? We'll be right back. And we're back. So we're talking this week about pricing of games. Will you found a you found a good thing that you would like to read to us? So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do that. Yes, I found a very great Steam review for a game. Let's hear it. It it, it reads as follows: thirty dollars for six hours content. Just no. User received product for free. Uh, by the way, so. Interesting. I, yeah, Interesting I mean, to that, I guess. Maybe they stand in solidarity with those who paid money, but uh, I guess maybe. But still, it's kind anyway, of bullshit. This is, this is not a unique review, though. I see this no, sort of stuff yeah. all the time. And it's it's this odd. I, I I have okay. So just just to set up what got me interested in like maybe bringing this topic up is I have friends who adhere to some sort of a one dollar per hour rule for games, which I I. I doesn't make a lot of sense it to me. It makes zero sense to me. It's like, okay, so if you pay, if you buy like an RPG, you're going to get technically in quotes a great deal. But then if you buy like <laughs> a really well made, like six hour game, you're get you're getting ripped off. It's like, it, it, it's all based around the money and not like the actual content, like what's in what you're purchasing, what's in the art, what's in the game itself. And I was just curious about like, expectations for pricing in games like full price video games are usually they're $60 and for some reason $30 is considered a budget game despite mm -hmm. the fact that that okay even though $60 is also a budget just a higher budget I, I don't know <laughs> but then you've got this case of like like this one this one comment of $30 for six hours content? No. It's like, what the fuck? What, do you, what well, does this mean? He doesn't explain any. Is that the whole, is that the whole review? It's like, dude, if I, $30 for six hours content, yet you pay more for two hours of content to go see a movie in a theater, but that's fine. <laughs> but doing this for a six hour game is absurd. Like, there's this weird, I don't, I just don't know. I just don't get it. I feel like this sort of attitude would have made more sense before, like the indie games boom of two thousand eight, mm -hmm. when there was a still not completely, but there was a bit more of like a of like a similarity in in game length across the board, mm -hmm. and like what you would expect from. I mean, of course, there were still like many different genres of games, but like after 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 it stopped being just like the big studios could make games, um, then I feel like games started to take on different prices and a lot of different forms um and so that feels like a weird like rel like relic of a of a like system to measure games mm -hmm. adhere to like a price value to me yeah it's with a lot of like indie games you've kind of got like like that big explosion of like 
I suppose you can maybe maybe call them art house games, like just games that are trying to like say more than just be like a fun game to play mechanically. Like there's there's something to it. There's like a neat draw. It's like a walking simulator, even though a lot of people use that as like a derogatory term for certain games. Like there are a lot of games like this and then they might charge. There was this one game I played, this kind of surreal adventure called Torin from this Brazilian indie studio. And it charged like, I think, $15. The game's only like two or three hours long. And I really loved it. Also, it's a Brazilian indie company, and they're trying to make at least some profit or at least something off of this like niche game. Now. But there were lots of reviews, at least at the time I bought it, that were like, wow, uh, game's too short, honestly. Asked for a refund. And it's like, what an asshole. <laughs> like, what is come this on. called? Torin. T-O-R-E-N. Okay. I will say. I don't know. I'm on this subject, it's kind of weird for me. Because I'm always just like, I feel like I'm always on a budget whenever I'm thinking about buying games and stuff. Like, I have to be really interested in a game for me to spend $60 on it, for me mm -hmm. personally. Oh, yeah, and I I'm, mean, me I'm, as I'm well. assuming it's the same for you guys, yeah. It's like, you're, you're, that's, that's a lot of money. $60 is a lot of money for entertainment. And, I mean, to some people, maybe not. But for me, for someone like me, for someone who's in college and, you know, $60 is a lot. And... You know, I think especially for us and for like our audience that that we are speaking to on this podcast, like sixty dollars. <laughs> I think we all have a consensus that that's a lot of money to spend yes, on anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But my and, my main. Oh, sorry. Yeah, keep going. Okay, so basically, um, I am sort of on both sides of this. Like, I wait. So, what sides? There yeah, what sides are the sides? <laughs> I, I was gonna explain that. Oh, okay. Okay, so basically. So there's, um, you know, you pay for a certain amount of time, right? That's not necessarily what you're doing, but like, I get that mindset. I get like, because for people who play RPGs, like primarily as their games and such, um, they're expecting a lot of content with how much money they put into the specific game. Okay, but see, if you do buy an RPG, but, you will be getting that Yes, time. yes, yeah, like I, I understand that point. But for me, I like both types of games. And I can kind of put myself into the like seat of like someone who primarily only plays RPGs and sees this type of content for what its money's worth or however they consider it compared to like, um, let's put a triple A game that's considered shorter, like Uncharted 4. Like, say, um, I can't think, I don't want to use The Witcher 3, but I'm going to fucking use it. Um, the Witcher 3 versus Uncharted 4. The Witcher 3, I've put probably 200 hours into this game for $60. With Uncharted 4, I've played it once, and it's probably 10 hours. So I can understand kind of those, like, both of those. Like, I enjoyed both of those games very much. Like, Uncharted 4 is a very... But is that all you took away from the game is I spent some hours playing it? No, that's not at all what I took from the game. I what I took from the game about. is, um, you know... Maybe I could have like rented this game over spending sixty dollars uh -huh. on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of mindset. Like with the with The Witcher Three, you can put copious amounts of hours into it. I'm not thinking of spending one dollar per hour because I think that could be kind of dangerous. If if a lot of people start to think that, then maybe companies catch on and start using that as a games a service thing. Like you want to have thirty hours in this game, pay thirty bucks. No, obviously that's probably not going to happen, but. Just I don't I don't like either of those mindsets. Like personally, if I'm interested in a game, I'm gonna buy it. I could understand why someone would be disappointed, especially with playing 
for example, for an extreme example, like playing both of those games back to back. Like you start with The Witcher 3, you put 100 hours in the game, spend 60 bucks on it. That was a good game. I put a lot of time into it. Then you go out and buy, say the Uncharted 4 came out after but, that. But but isn't it just as like odd of like a mindset to say that was a good game. I put a lot of hours into it. Yes. Yes. Kind of undermine like a shorter that, game. It's like, oh, it yeah. wasn't good. But what I'm saying is those are both AAA games, too. So with indie games, I feel like they have a lot more of a leniency compared because there's a lot of different factors going into that. Like this is a AAA studio making a $60 game that's eight hours, you know. If you enjoy that, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you have an indie studio that's putting out a game that's significantly less, but people are still complaining about the kind of hour difference for what they paid. And it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense because I I would love to pay, you know, 30 bucks for a six hour game that I really enjoy. I'm on. And then I would also love to pay $60 for a great RPG. But at the same time, if I'm like paying, you know, 60 bucks for a triple A game, that's six hours. Then I could have been like, I probably should have rented this game. But at the same time, it's like if I enjoyed it, it's fine with indie games. It's like I get it. Like, it's totally fine. If I enjoyed it, I'm personally for me, Caleb, <laughs> me <I'm>, personally. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm totally fine with spending 30 bucks on an indie game or $15 on an indie game that you know, gives me six hour content, like a, I don't know, like a really quick triple A game. If that makes sense. Like, uh, I'm totally kinda. fine. I with mean, that. like, yeah, I'm, I'm with my money. If, you know, if I spend it on like something that like when I'm done with it, I look at it and go, I, I really enjoyed that. Usually. Yeah. I'm quite happy with the money I spend. If it's $30 mm -hmm. for six hours or something like, like that, like if the content there is good, I'm happy with what I've spent, like with films, like I don't go see some sort of a long movie. And even if it sucks ass, I go, well, got my money's worth. Yes, sir. Like, no, exactly. I might, I might pay a lot of money for like nice seats at a theater and then see a movie I really enjoy. And it's like, oh, it wasn't that long, but I really liked it. It was a really good experience overall. Like, I guess to what I'm getting fair, at here is like the content that's there, not so much the yeah. running time. Like there's this weird correlation that people are tying content like the quality to the like quantity and but to be fair though like comparing games to something like that games are a lot more interactive so they don't like i guess it makes sense comparing like the length of what you're doing but i don't know um just you know to be fair comparing like movies to like a game but if it's like you know if it's like a telltale game like, that's a little different but i don't know i get where you're uh, what you're saying at though especially like paying for a certain amount of hours like it would make more sense to do that in like i don't know fucking Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. <laughs> not like no uh, I don't know maybe maybe games are more comparable to Chuck E. Cheese now I don't know maybe we should change instead of dollars we should just spend like arcade tokens on games <laughs> yes. awesome 30 mouse tokens for 6 hours of content <laughs> just no it's rat tokens rat tokens Will. rat coin wait is Chuck E. Cheese a rat or a mouse he's, he's a, a giant rat. festering rat okay Ew. he's a rat I don't think he's a I thought about rat this. But yeah, I mean, yeah. just, I don't know, this price expectations in general, like, this odd connection between, I don't know, like, price point and hours. Not, not yeah. that, like, 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 you, like you've said, not that everybody has this, but there's enough people that I constantly see it in, like, Steam reviews or Amazon reviews for no, things. No, I totally, I totally see that shit too, dude. Yeah, it's and it's everywhere. just like, what is this? It's what, weird. What, it's, you just have to wonder, like, 
what does this person like spend their money on a daily basis? Like, what do they do? What thought process do they have in their head? Yeah, it's like for someone like me, though, like I said, it's like I'm pretty picky about the types of games I buy. Like, obviously, I have, I have a shit ton of games on Steam. But they <laughs> it sounds like kinda... I'm not picky either, but <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, just mean like for me to spend $60 on a game in general, like I'm talking <laughs> yeah. just $60 on a game. Like, I don't even, I think the last game I spent $60 on to buy was Red Dead Redemption 2, I guess is what I'm kind of saying. Like, it's really, for kind of that price point, just in particular. And my kind of thought process around it is just, like, I'm a, I'm a lot harder on, like, AAA, where it's, like, time and, like, enjoyability play a huge factor. And, like, even if I enjoy the game a lot, I'm still kind of reluctant afterwards. I'm like... I enjoy this game a lot, but I could have just borrowed it for a friend kind of situation. And like with indie games, I'm a lot more like lenient with them, if that makes sense. That's kind of where I'm going at. I'm I'm kind of like on okay. both sides of the spectrum. Like, you know, it's it's a triple A game. You know what I mean? Like there's billions of dollars going into this shit. And it's like, you know, your money is such a small fraction. <laughs> so we're like if you could find all the sales, go for it kind of situation. I, but that's just kind of my mindset and how I you know, pick and choose, but... I wonder what else they didn't like about the game. Because, like, I can't imagine that it was just the price point versus the hours of play, right? right? But the so review, like the yeah, the review leaves nothing to our imagination. They just say... Well, yeah, they don't elaborate at all. I mean, they yeah. could, for yeah. all we know, they could have had, like, an out-of-body experience and it was, like, the most <laughs> magical game they ever played. And then they looked at the clock and were like... Th six hours? Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> One I mean, game I that I'm... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Rebecca. Oh, I was going to say, like, I don't think that that was probably the only reason why they didn't like the game. You know, mm. I, I imagine that was just sort of like a scapegoat for like a lack of like thoughtful review. Because if they got the game for free, if they were like given the game to like write a review about it, is that what was happening or... Was it like a review copy or? I mean, uh, it, it just I, I says think that's generally why free. people receive the game for free, but there's got to be like a variety of reasons you would get a pre-release copy. Bug okay. testing, game te play testing. Oh, it's a pre-release. Oh, well, no, it just says oh. re product received yeah. for free. Oh, so okay. uh, my assumption is either like maybe there was like an uh, like an alpha or something or like a beta or a friend gifted it to them or maybe. Oh, is, um, does that show up on gifts? Oh, I don't know. I actually don't okay. know how that works, but that would. They still would have received it for free. I'm just right, trying yeah. to think about like, yeah, I, what, I just don't know that... all the details about what when that flag shows up. Mm -hmm. I think, I think maybe the whole like hours per dollar metric is is kind of a system invented in absence of like because people like things to be simple, right? Mm -hmm. That's why mm -hmm. people like like stars on movie reviews, and that's why people <laughs> read headlines instead of articles. Is like we we like to just quickly uh, ingest facts and or ingest data and treat it as fact without going into any of the nuance of it that's so, why people misread rotten tomato scores instead of like realizing what that metric actually is yeah how do they misread rotten they're like scores? oh this well, is a, a lot of people are like oh it movie. got like an 80 on rotten tomatoes it's like that just means 80 percent of critics like liked it that's right like if a movie it's gets a 50 a on rotten tomatoes 10. that's not uh, like a 50 on rotten tomatoes that's not necessarily a bad thing Right, 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 right. That's that's but like, a, but they split. instantly look yeah. at it and go, oh, fifty percent. It's like, well, hold <laughs> but on a minute. That's different yeah. from averaging ratings, guys. Yeah, yeah, and but like, it's like the the Joker has like a what sixty or something on Rotten Tomatoes, and a majority of reviewers itself, or not reviewers, but just like, I mean, I loved the film. I'm I'm not sure what you thought about it, Will, but like, 
the, the, you read the headline, you read a score. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I catch myself reading Rotten Tomato scores a lot before I go see movies, but you can't just take things but at surface value. Here's, you here's know? a question on Steam reviews. Steam mm -hmm. gives credence to the amount of hours that you've played because it puts it right there with your review. Yeah. So it sort of elevates that factor. I guess if you see like a, like a sea of people saying that on the same game, maybe the game is just but not I, I, great yeah, in yeah, general. Like, I understand. But if it's just like one person, like maybe you should just like sift through some reviews, see what else other people are saying. But as much saying. of a pro- I'm not saying that in general. As much Sorry, of a problem ahead. as listing hours is, then you've also got the concern of like people who have played like 0.3 of an hour giving a negative review. And you've got that case yeah. of, okay, do we, what do you do with that review? Do you filter it out? What, what if they have like a very valid complaint? But they don't filter it out, right? They just leave it there. Yeah, they do. And then but it's you like... can look at it and you can see, you can read this person's complaints and you can look at the time that they've played and you can kind of discern your own yeah. facts, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it makes sense having like forcing people to like show how many hours they've put into a game they're reviewing though, because you know, it's like, that's if you give, if you play a game for 10 minutes and you write a review that's negative on it and it's like specific to the game, and not like bugs or anything mm -hmm. like that. Then it's like, uh, did you actually you, touch what? this thing? Like, what are you talking yeah. about here? Why should I trust this review? But then if, yeah, but then it's like if it's like a point three hour review saying like this game literally broke my PC or something like that, then that's more of a valid complaint of that time frame that they put into the game. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, if a lot of people are putting the same thing or if there's a bunch of these spiking all over the place, maybe there's a problem with the game. Like it's bug. It's really buggy. Or I'll, I'll like say that, Steam but, as a platform yeah. is not a reliable source to get information on the quality of a game. Uh, when I'm mm -hmm. going to buy a game, I typically will give a glance over of the Steam uh, of the Steam average. Uh, because that'll usually give me a good indicator of like, is there something like broken in this game? Is it like, is it mm -hmm. overwhelmingly negative? But other than that, mm -hmm. like, I get my opinions about games from people who actually write about games. I tend to not give any value to the people on Steam who some of them probably have very valid opinions, but it's just, it's an unfiltered sea of people just yelling, right? So it's, it's to me, mm -hmm. it's not a, a good place to get any sort of information on like well, yeah do, are you gonna make a good well, purchase here or not love me some editorials I kind of i i get that point too but at the same time i do enjoy that you're able to actually write reviews on it because then you'll find people who, um on steam that actually write in-depth reviews about it, and you could follow them directly um from games that they've played and kind of like get your own sort of little curation of people that you know have actual thoughtful reviews inside of games you know but then at the same time there's that whole sea of just like wah there's a girl in a game or something like that oh, you know that's there's, the there's a lot of those reviews. yeah but you yeah, can get that same like, experience from just reading like published game outlets and yeah there's gonna yeah. be like no, bad yeah. writers every once in a while but th these are places where people are hired based on their skill and based on their experience mm -hmm. and so i you, th that's a that's a place where you don't have to deal with the sea of six hours <laughs> but you know i just i just like the option for reviews to be made at least you know because I, I like i like seeing some input just kind of like a general consensus of like reading over um reviews that are pretty similar to each other because that kind of like puts me in a direction of like oh maybe this game something i'll like but 
I still like reviews. I like them being able to be there, I guess, as a, just something. Sure. Um, so on the, just back to Will's original question about this, the sort of metric of, of measuring hours and time, I mean... We live in a we live in a society where God damn it. <laughs> we sure we do. live in a society where time is is money. So mm-hmm. are, do we take that into account? I think we do because well, I mean, I don't think we all do, but I think that is a really easy thing for people to do where like I, you know, they make $17 an hour, right? And so this game costs them however many hours of their labor, you know? So I feel like they might expect to get a little bit more money out of that than they perceive mm-hmm. their sort of like earned a dollar worth is. Right. Does that, did I say that in a way that was comprehensible? Yeah. I mean, my question okay. was really bad. I was just trying to spur the conversation back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause you know, like you were saying that like time is money. And if you are like investing you know, 200 hours into a game that you only paid $60 for. If you like, you know, divide that out, however many like dollars, cents it is per hour of playtime. Um, then you made a good return on investment. Then you made a really good in- return this is a, this on your investment. It's a terrible way to think about games. I hate this. <laughs> it is really terrible. Um, but I think that's just kind of like how we are primed based on like our like material reality (laughs) in Mm -hmm. that like we have jobs that like pay us for our time and so this is a way for us to like relate to the world dear Um, god what a horrid way to like yeah (laughs) to like calculate entertainment value it's just like it's all part of like this factory (laughs) labor market like system yeah, I yeah. remember Mega I mean, yikes. time is valuable. Yeah, yeah I remember working true. at McDonald's. Time is very valuable. And being like, oh god, you know, like my like eleven dollars an hour, okay. like oh shit, <laughs> like I can go buy this now because I've been here for four hours. Um, you know, that was obviously didn't do math for taxes, but but time is valuable, and you don't want to waste it doing something that means nothing. But at the same time, it's like do whatever you want with your time at the same. So you want to play a. Did we get to the heart of I the was question to go ever, but... Will? Did, did we make any good progress? Um, was there I, I any think, other I routes you wanted this to explore down? We've really shown that this is just like, who knows? <laughs> who gets it? Oh, yeah, but we didn't take the uh, physical discs into consideration. Yeah, either, which is well, which is where I was going to try and kind of take this to. Okay, okay. So, so we've talked about length and content. Sure. But we haven't really talked about platform. Okay. Uh, and what I kind of wanted to take what we've talked about, what we've kind of rambled about into this next thing is a lot of these games uh, are cross-platform. They might exist on the computer and, um, wow, okay. Uh, they might exist on PC and console. <laughs> on the computer. I play, I play games computer. on the computer. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, computer games. Hey, I'm, uh, hey, what's up, my computer fellow boomers? Gaming will. on the computer. Anyway, uh, they might the exist on PC. An and machine that can complete many tasks. How do I send an email? Um... <laughs> But you've got like games on PC and console, <laughs> and then you've got games uh, on phone, and some of them are cross-platform, and they're on all of them. And some of them usually, are different prices. Yeah, and usually, if they're on a phone, they are like significantly cheaper. And sometimes, even if they're like fifty percent cheaper, they'll they're still like maybe ten or twenty bucks on mobile, and and that's that that scene is like outrageous, despite the fact it's the same game. It's just 
a different platform. So, I have a theory. Okay, theory? okay, let's hear because we're in the I same... Think, yeah, I, th I think a lot of the developers who push out games that also have mobile versions uh, are aware of the reality that people... We talked about mobile games last week. They're aware... I've talked about this a little bit, but I think they, they are like fully aware of the reality that people value mobile games inherently differently. Mm -hmm. And so if they were to put... Uh, I, I'm just thinking a game that I see come up in the app store a lot that I don't own on mobile, but I do own on PC is Life is Strange, which I, yeah, I mean, it's been a while. I think Life is Strange is like a, you know what? Let's just look it up. Let's just look it up before I go any further. It's going to go to the Steam store. Life I still need to play that is game. good game. Life is, no, that's the second one. <laughs> I'm derailing the conversation. Hang on. Life is Strange. No, it's okay. Episode one free. Fuck. Hang on. <laughs> here we go complete season 20 bucks okay i that's what i thought i didn't want to say it wildly um life is strange on pc these days 20 bucks on mobile i think it's like 10 bucks to buy all the episodes or five bucks or something it's not 20 bucks is what i remember um i think that's just because like and it's the same game maybe you could argue it's not the same game because it's probably got more compressed textures and there are compromises made for bringing it to a mobile platform i think that's part of the rationale behind when people uh value mobile games less than their like platform counterparts um i think there's also just the general market of games made for mobile that are generally more confined experiences like a good premium game like alto's adventure where mm -hmm. there's one thing here you ski but it, the game does it really well and that's a game that is five dollars um that's just that's the way it's priced in that market that's what people are willing to pay for it so i think when but, but there's also other examples like like you were saying like i think i don't know if this is true anymore but there was a time when there was like a total war mobile game one of them and it was like the same price as the as the platform version yeah um i don't think they do that anymore i wouldn't be surprised if like that price just wasn't working for people um i know there's a fairly expensive mobile version of civ 6 i don't remember what the exact price on that is i i think it's 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 expensive for a mobile game at the very least i highly doubt it's 60 dollars on mobile i think it might be like 20. do you think i wonder why we value mobile games less Maybe because, like, it seems like it's more casual, like it's more conducive to, like, a casual kind of play style. And so... Yeah, I mean, in the same way, like, handheld consoles are considered casual, like, those games are not $60 either. Some of them, I think, are. Well, the Switch kind of... Are we calling the Switch a handheld like... now? The Switch Lite uh, is a handheld. I would... I was By handheld, I meant, like, Game Boy DS. I know what you mean, um, handheld now, but... But we don't ha really have, aside from the Switch, which technically is handheld, we don't really have a modern handheld except for the phone, which are kind of taking over what the handheld yeah. previously did. We have the, the, Switch, so, the Switch Lite is a handheld. Yeah, but the games on that are still going to be 60 bucks, though. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, because it just takes the exact same games that the Switch typically does, which are all basic. Well, not all, but like a majority of them are sixty dollars still. How much were like Game Boy slash DS games? I don't even remember. I don't remember either because I always like, like yeah. This whole conversation, I'm trying to think back to the past, and it's like fuck. I don't know how much things I, used to cost. I was anymore. a kid when I asked my parents for Mario yeah. Three on Game Boy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I never kept track of that. 
Yeah, like, but, was Life is Strange always 20 bucks? I don't think so. It but, might have been. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at the, the cost of, like, games included or without inflation and stuff, like, during the times that they released. So, like, for example, um, the Game Boy, the original one came out in 1989, and it was 89.99. And, like, for example, the Game Boy Advance came out in 2001, and it was 100 bucks, but it, um, it's cost today would be about 130 so i'm trying to find the game cost too uh for, from that point i was going to try and branch us back into another thing okay go ahead related to kind of about like historical pricing um which is well let's let's say it's 2007 welcome to 2007 everybody hooray thank you anyway whoa, whoa, whoa yeah, we're, we're, we're in for a recession hey, what's up? <laughs> we're all i bought my, my parents <laughs> bought a new house whoa. anyway um Games on like Xbox 360, uh, PS3, or if that was out in 2007, were Let's 60 bucks. Were sixty dollars, and you get them on a Blu-ray disc or a DVD disc or something, and a case uh, with a manual. You're paying sixty bucks for that, a brand new game. Oh, Nowadays, in 2019, um, on Steam, you buy nice. a brand new game. It's a digital code. You don't get anything physical. There's no disc, there's no case, and if you're you really nice lucky, manual. there might be a PDF of a black and white manual. <laughs> you are paying $60 still. You're still paying 60 bucks, but you're not getting like you're you're no longer having to deal with like the physical part of buying a game. Yeah, and the company is no longer having to find a distributor or a manufacturer for cases and covers and so on or discs. They they no longer have to do that. And but we're still paying sixty dollars. It's also really interesting because like technically every single game that you own digitally, you don't actually own. You're almost essentially just leasing the game. So at any point, could that game just be revoked from yes. you in the future? So this is, this is my biggest fear. To take into consideration as well. <laughs> all the games will become gone. Worry about the games. That's not what I'm trying to get at right now, though. No, I know. I'm just trying to get at, like. I know. I yes, just wanted to right. say that too. For but. sixty dollars, we're still paying sixty dollars for games that are no oh, yeah, longer. 2007. Yeah, sorry. On a physical disc, that they, they don't have to deal with a case. But so rather than dropping prices because you know that manufacturing cost for cases and so on is no longer a thing for these companies, the cost has just remained the same. Which, I mean, like, the, the motivation for that is probably pretty obvious with, like, if people are used to paying $60 and you're just switching to a slightly different distribution platform on the same platform, why would a company really lower prices? Because people are already used to paying 60 <laughs> You can just get a little more money. Okay. Hang, hang on, hang on. Hang on. I, think, service. I, I think you're making the assumption, and I don't know how wrong it is or right it is, but I think you're making <laughs> the assumption that because they're not producing these physical equipment things, that like there's no longer any cost there. But you have to take into account like the cut that they're paying to Valve for the digital distribution side. Like I'm just I'm trying to remind you that digital distribution does cost money. Oh yeah, it certainly so does, it, and that's why many companies like are coming out with their very own launchers. To physical. Okay, and on server upkeep and maintenance, they have their own more... launchers. Then they've got to run their own servers. So yeah, I just asked that. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, but I don't. Especially I don't know with what it is. Today, that's what I'm saying. Okay, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know what all the numbers are. I don't know how much it costs to make a game case. I don't know how much it costs to provide server bandwidth. I'm just saying there's cost there. Yes. But like with that, is that also, you know, why we're seeing more of a rise of like, I don't know, like their game access things, because if they're already having to pay for server upkeep on their own, like 
you play server storefront and all these things that they're kind of tying that into playing games and getting money that way. Like, it's just interesting how pricing uh, and like, I guess this ties a lot closer into what we did like maybe last week, but like the pricing to play these games and like how it changes over time or like the mechanics behind it, I suppose. The market. It's very complex. Very complex, very complex. <laughs> Let's just bring back Game Boy. Let's bring back Game Boy. All right. No, seriously. Well, here, I have an idea of how to end this topic. How about we all, how about we go around the room and we explain how we personally, like, rationalize cost of games and what we sort of look for. I feel like I elaborated a lot on how I felt, but... Yeah, you did. How should mm -hmm. we look at the money value of a, of a game then? Ooh, okay. I got, oh, I got this. For me. Time is valuable, as we all very much know. Okay, let's just so get past this part. If you enjoy something, if you enjoy something, that's good. And you spent your time well because you enjoyed okay, I'm it. I'm glad. No matter how long what you're doing is, doesn't matter. No matter doesn't how much matter. time you invested doesn't matter if you enjoyed what you did and the money you spent you feel is well spent then that's how Wait, you should is, value okay. your game so you're okay <laughs> caleb i would just like that's I, I, could you repeat that last part one more time if you think your money is well spent then it's well spent okay that's just travis's question oh did i, did I say that oh my question. bad how do you know okay sorry um so let me Give rephrase that, that. so <laughs> What I'm saying is time is valuable. If you felt your time was worth what you've played and what you spent your money on, that should be it. If you don't, then you obviously didn't enjoy your time that you spent with the game. That's that's it. That's all I think. So that's kind of like where I'm at with it, too. I think I have a... You guys disagree? Like the opposite idea where if I know I will enjoy it, then it really doesn't matter how much it costs. No, that's what I mean, yeah. It's like if you enjoyed what you did... But what about when you're going to? You what spent, about when you're trying to make a purchasing decision? Mm -hmm. If I can't afford it at the time, then I won't buy it, and I'll just wait until I have yeah. like fifteen extra dollars, or feel more comfortable making a purchase that is sixty dollars. But maybe I just don't purchase as many games as you do, so it's not like a thing that I'm hugely concerned about. Like I don't have to fit it into like my my budget, or I don't have to like worry about it as much. And like I've enjoyed games that are short. Um, that that were short and kind of expensive, and I've also enjoyed games that were cheap and very very long. Um, talked a lot last week about Mini Metro, um, <laughs> and I don't know. I I think it it's mostly just like an enjoyment factor of the game, like, and price is just sort of like a a thing that I'm sure some sort of like market strategist somewhere was like yes this is how we're going to price the game it's weird it's just weird to me that like historically the big budget games have always been 60 bucks mm -hmm. like most things go up and down in value like you know movie tickets the cost of most media has fluctuated over time but games have always been 60 what if they oh, have like a secret monopoly just like ebooks <laughs> oh no oh shit <laughs> I was I, just. I, I feel like I feel like they've also tested the or has are still testing the waters with like increasing the price of that, especially with like deluxe editions and stuff too. 
So like testing to see how many people are going to like actually spend $70 yeah, or $100 on this I, game. I, that completely escaped my mind when I brought up the whole, hey, it's 2007 and we pay $60 is like inflation <laughs> hey, and we, stuff. Like, are we still in 2007? Still, <laughs> yes, we're stuck in. We, we have can't our get jeans on. Oh shit, dude. Like we paid 60 then and we still do, but inflation and things like, yeah, like you're getting at like market, ticket costs and things change. Why have $60? Why is it just being $60? At the same time, though, it's like uh, we just had this conversation, but I feel like not having the production of just physical discs and stuff helped with their increase in profit, though, at the same time, because they still had to deal with like paying Valve and all that stuff. Wow, that's true for a while. They did. So, um, so the games are still $60. They're making more of a profit. And also they are um implementing games as service and such like that so there's more of an emphasis on dlc too and like continuing the game so there's also that yeah there's also um more than there was before now there's the strategy of maximizing the thing that you've already made by adding additional content packs to it to try mm -hmm. to sort of milk it in various ways I feel, oh yeah and to 2007 is like the pinnacle of like DLC and like those being introduced into gaming and stuff. Like there was what was what in 2007 came out? Uh Halo 3. I mean that kind of had DLC but it wasn't paid. Fear um, extraction point. <clears throat> Morrowind Tribunal. I feel like <laughs> wait a sec. What? Huh. I was just thinking. Uh no, that maybe I'll see I'm just listing like the first DLCs I frame. can think of. 2006 had Oblivion with uh, horse armor for three dollars or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh no no no! Modern Warfare two. Yeah that that had that came out what 2008 right? I don't know. That's so weird. It's so weird. I just remember buying like zombie maps. Okay, I'm, I'm hitting the button on my now. time machine. We are no yeah. longer in 2007. Okay. <laughs> we are we are in the modern day. Uh, Welcome back to 2019. But I feel like personally, I gotta end it right Fair there. Enough. I'm gonna I gotta, toss to a break. But I appreciated talking to you guys, especially about this t subject, because we talked a lot about this subject. So that's, that's good. That's good. I definitely enjoyed this conversation. Um, Hell yeah. Anyways, well, we will let, we thanks will for let having Caleb me. Head out. He's got to head out early. <laughs> I'm about to head out. All right, guys. Bye. Right. Bye, Caleb. Bye. So when we come back, we'll do our thoughts and prayers, and then we yes. will wrap up this thing. And we're back and we will close off the show with our thoughts and prayers. Uh, my thoughts and prayers this week are about data caps, which are a thing where I live. I am allowed to, I was going to say download, but I think it's just transfer in general. Actually, I'm allowed to transfer up to one terabyte of data a month. And if I want to, if I want uh, unlimited, I think I have to pay an extra $30 on my internet bill. So I'm not going to do that. But, um, whoa, I'm, um, yeah, you guys don't have to deal with data caps, do you? Or Rebecca, you live so. in a you live in a suburb, right? No, I live in a city. City. Oh, you live in a city. I well, I also live city. in a city. I I mean, okay. I thought cities and suburbs, like collectively, both had to deal with data caps. No. Okay. I uh, even when I was in Tacoma, I didn't have data caps. Okay, so maybe this is just like in the desert, the internet is harder to get through the tubes. I don't know. <laughs> it's like water for rural farms. It's getting sucked up. 
But anyway, I've just been thinking more about like the size of games and the ever increasing size of games. At one point, I was thinking I would try to bring the topic of uh, game sizes to a podcast as as a weekly topic, but I've decided to scratch that because my original I I was I was going to ask you guys like at what point do you think we're going to see the first like 200 gigabyte game? And I was going to say like a couple years from now, but they just announced the uh the the disc size of modern warfare and it is 175 gigs so we're just we're closing rapidly in on that faster than i thought there's been i've i'm coming up on at the end of this year i will have been in my apartment and also on my internet plan for a year and in this time that i've been here i have exceeded my data cap two months um and that is solely from downloading video games because video games have gotten really big um last month i skirted right up to like 99 percent, and like the last 10 percent of that i think was downloading destiny 2 so for a few days at the end of the month because i have this app to like monitor it so for a few days at the end of the month i just like i didn't download things I just I just used what we had. Mom, can we download things? No, son. We have things at home on the computer already. Um, so that's how <laughs> I've been handling that. I can't imagine that things stay like this for too much longer. I don't know what I'm basing that on, but like people play games, people download games. Discs don't exist anymore, as we've mentioned. Um, and so, and people stream. The stre- streaming is booming. So, like, you can't you can't stream without like paying the extra money for an unlimited data plan if you're streaming every day or every other day or so. Um, there's a lot of big games that are coming out in November, and I hope that I don't exceed my data cap a third month. I don't know. Uh, I wonder when the outrage is going to come to a head because I've seen. Recently, like this, these past couple months with like bigger games and like Destiny coming out and stuff, I've seen more people on my timeline raging about data caps than ever before. So I think my hope is that the outrage gets louder and companies are forced to, like, the historically shitty internet companies are forced to actually do something. But this is maybe like a pipe dream of mine and maybe things only get worse. I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I've, I've, I've learned um over the past year different ways to just be aware of the bandwidth i'm using so i don't go over and like get charged extra money and it has been really weird because i did not used to have to i did not used to have to deal with this stuff who else has thoughts and prayers i have a thoughts and prayers i have several thoughts and many prayers all right but let's hear them specifically I have some thoughts and prayers for a crow and my neighbor, Dan, um, who apparently had his back window of his car smashed by a crow just throwing rocks at it. Damn. (laughs) Wait, okay. How big does a rock have to be to smash a car window? I don't know. I should have asked how big the rock was. I've just seen like the aftermath of his car. And is that even physically possible? Is there like a tree directly over his car back window? That's the only way I can imagine this worked. He was at a job site because he is an electrician. And so Uh I don't know if it was just like there was like a the crow was just like like zooming around and just like throwing rocks at it. But um, yeah, he asked to use um, 
the parking space in the back of our building, like the parking space that's for our unit, they don't have one, so they have to park on the street. But he was like, oh, because I have like a giant hole in my car. Can I <laughs> park where it's a little bit safer? And uh-huh. so obviously I said yes, but um, Very nice. what, a, what a time to be alive. The yeah. poor crow, the poor man. Just like what a what a like frustrating thing to have to deal with, and I guess he saw it happen too. Like it was just like <laughs> swooping around and like throwing a rock at it. I don't know why it's just a lot funnier knowing that he literally saw the crow smash his windshield. <laughs> yeah, I guess like um, one of his coworkers was like, "Hey, you gotta come see this crow attacking your car," and he was like, "What?" <laughs> and then he like ran out and then like saw like the window break, and he was just like holy shit instead of like let's get the crow away from dan's car they went we better go tell dan (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh he's gotta check this out (laughs) that's gotta be like one of the like bare bones things that insurance has to cover though right it's like birds and animals and just like (laughs) random stuff i have no idea i should have asked him but um he was worried that he was cursed so he cracked an egg and discovered that he was not cursed there was no dead fetus he cracked the crow's egg and the crow was like motherfucker (laughs) comes back and breaks the front windshield (laughs) (laughs) but i was just like talking to him i was like you must have pissed off this crow because like crows are smart you know they bring you presents if you're friends with them right so maybe this crow was like fuck you dan (laughs) I'm gonna vandalize your property. Extremely critical ranged hit by the yes. crow. <laughs> yeah, so my thoughts and prayers are with the crow and with Dan. <laughs> cool. Thoughts and prayers. What are yours? Uh my thoughts and prayers. Uh, I just saw the movie just like a few days ago. I saw the movie The Yoker. Mm. Uh, the what? My, the Joker. My thoughts are. Hey, if you've ever seen Taxi Driver, this is like a less good Taxi Driver. So that's my thought. And my prayer is that we get better movies in the future. Please. That's uh, that's 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 my little hot take. Oh, no. On the Joker. You can find him on Twitter if you disagree. I'll fight the Joker. (laughs) Yeah. I'll fight the Joker in the streets. Why do why do people and by people, I mean a specific type of people. Why do people love the Joker as a character? Because he's a clown. He's so crazy. That doesn't know. answer my question. I feel like uh, if he says like you're just dumb, a Marvel weird fan. things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't get to hear what Rebecca said. Oh, I think because he says like dumb, like quippy things that people are like, mm, very deep. So they're like, I'm 14 cool years old. And this is yeah. a hot take. Yeah. He says he had the strength, he had the brave, he had the courage when no one else did to say that we live in, in a society. society. Yeah. Which is like, I think one of the greatest observations, like nobody's ever made that observation before. That sometimes society isn't very nice. And wow, we sure live in a society. I think we should just uh, ban the movie studios from making movies and just let the, just, just let, uh, just let indie studios make them. Just for for a period of time, like five years. <laughs> I guess so. I all couldn't right. think of I like guess, anything um, to follow up with, and I was just yeah, like, yeah, I was hmm. like, all right, okay, yeah, I agree. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I too live in a society. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh, uh, um, 
You, uh, well, here, I'm just trying to think of how to end this because I put the thing at the you beginning. You crank that soldier boy. Crank that soldier boy. Uh, we're back in 2007 again. <laughs> uh, you could follow, uh, just uh, as a reminder, you could follow us on the Twitter at HitPointPals. That's all we have for this week. If you've been enjoying the show, again, drop us a review. Let your friends know. You guys are dead silent. I'm sorry. <laughs> what I on feel earth like I'm just so yeah, I've tired. No, I've got nothing to, I don't know how to help end this. <laughs> All right. We'll just, we'll see you next time. So here's what we're going to do. Destiny 2. Cool. The Sunless Citadel. And then Imperialism. My guy. (laughs) (laughs) Shouts out. Okay. And then under Thoughts and Prayers, (laughs) I have written Data Caps are Spooky. Uh, We can bring in Thoughts and Prayers now. We can add to this list. But if no one has anything. Okay, cool. Caleb, What's, do you have any questions about the format of this podcast? No, I, I was going to ask about, uh, aside from everything else, everything else is fine, but like, um, I don't know how it ends. Uh, oh, new window, okay. Did it survive? Um, well, hey, we'll get there when we get there. Okay, yeah, I don't want to ask questions, it's spoilers. Um, so, for thoughts and praise, is that just like negative things in general? No. no. Thoughts and prayers is anything that's on your mind that you want to get oh, off your mind. Oh, just anything. Negative anything. things okay. in general. We've got data caps <laughs> and the crow committing like crime. Because I, I see the, the topics in there and I'm like, huh. Hmm. I took my midterm. That's <laughs> like the Yeah, we want to end every podcast on a really sour note. So that's why we do thoughts and prayers every week. Huh. We could talk about Blizzard China. You're talking about how imperialism ties directly to the crow. <laughs> oh shit, that'd, that'd all be actually things are pretty, connected. pretty interesting. This is all one unified podcast. Okay, okay cool. so I, I have, have no a thought thoughts. in here. Rebecca has a prayer in here. I suppose you don't have to have a thought and a prayer, but... Yes, I'm a mindless husk. But yeah, no, <laughs> I, I have nothing, I'll, I have I'll nothing of to... substance for that. I mean, mine is just not substantive at all. Yeah, like, you're not, it's, it's not supposed to be something of substance, necessarily. It's just supposed to be okay, a little thing. Rebecca, that's that, I... that is definitely substance. Like, come on. <laughs> that is so specific. Crow smashed my neighbor's car window with a rock. Like, where, is, where isn't the substance in that sentence? You know what I mean? I mean, it's just kind of, like, meaningless, I that, guess. That's what the, that's what the, that's what well, the section is. Well, yeah, that's what it's we have meaningless. To, we have to derive meaning from it. You know, no, we don't. What, what, what is the no, symbolism of the crow? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My dog looks like a rat. What?